I wanted to share a tool that I started using recently. And if you're doing any prospecting or lead sourcing from LinkedIn, it's definitely worth checking out. The tool is called Surf and it's spelled S-U-R-F-E. It's a Chrome extension that allows you to add contacts to your CRM directly from LinkedIn. I use it to add contacts quickly, follow my deals, keep track of my notes. And it's actually saved me a bunch of time. The data is always 100% accurate because I don't have to copy and paste each detail from each contact over to my CRM. Instead, Surf does it all for me automatically with just one click. Now, the folks over at Surf have been kind enough to put together a promo offer for fans of SSP. You can go to the link in the show notes and use the promo code JWSURF with an E5 for a 5% discount on your first year. Check out the link in the show notes and go check them out. This episode is sponsored by Apollo, a tool that's helping me to open doors and close deals faster. Wanted to share it with you. Apollo is a complete end-to-end sales platform, letting you email, dial, connect on social, build plays, and schedule meetings. With conversational intelligence transcribing my calls lately and reminding me to act on my next steps to drive deals across the finish line, it's been a lifesaver. It's no wonder Apollo is the most loved sales tool on the planet. Thousands of users rank Apollo as a top tool on G2. Start today completely free and see how Jesse and I use Apollo Sign up in the show notes below or at thesalesplayers.com forward slash Apollo. That's thesalesplayers.com forward slash A-P-O-L-L-O to start your free trial. From time to time, Chase and I will peruse the sales subreddit (laughs) and... Someone asked a question that I thought was really interesting and thought we should address. And I want to get your take on it. I'll, I'll give my take on it too. But, and I, I couldn't find the post, honestly. We're, we're recording this a little bit off the cuff uh, this afternoon because we had some open, uh, open time on the schedule and thought we'd get an episode out. But the question was basically, can you survive in a, sale, uh, in a sales career as a, not a B player, but just sort of like middle of the pack player? Because I think a lot of us from the onset of the of our careers in sales, we think we've got to be the top performer on the team in order to survive long, long term in this business. And we're all conditioned to do that. We're all incentivized to do that. And it does feel good. Having been the top guy over the course of my career a few times, it feels great. But the question is, what if I just want to be like number two or number three or number four or five or whatever in middle of the pack? I want to deliver just 75% of my quota which will make me enough money, but it won't put a big target on my back as the top performer. Cause this is something I've actually seen in my career is what I call racehorse syndrome. And you'll appreciate this uh, chase being out in Kentucky where the Derby. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Derby. Yeah. The fastest horse gets kind of worked into the ground, right? Because if they're winning, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And so I've seen that happen with some top performing reps that are just number one rep over and over and over again leadership tends to then put a lot of weight and pressure and focus on them delivering to the point where it can actually burn them out. So to recap the question, can you have a sales career as a bronze medalist or the third or fourth player? And can you do that for five, 10, 15, 20 years sustainably without getting your ass fired in this business? (laughs) What's your hot take on this chase? I want to hear your, your thoughts. You know, when I first heard this question, I was like, well, you're going to have to give up something else besides being the top sales guy. You need to bring something else to the table. 
I'm thinking branding. I'm thinking you have connections to something else. You might just be a pretty face. Um, but this is a hard thing to justify. And I, I think that I, I, I'm actually looking in my, the, a community that I'm with, with Scott Lease, and he just posted a screen share of all these companies. And I think only, and this is just, this is off the cuff, but I think out of all the companies that were uh, reported in this thing, only like 42% of uh, account executives hit quota. And so there are these people that are, not quota killers, you know, not, that aren't 10 X in quota, but they're still making it. They still have their job. So obviously it's true that you can still have a job, but I don't like to be on the chopping block I and I, I'd rather be on the front and just pushing as hard as I can, uh, because I want to have as much leverage to take time off. And, you know, if you're not pushing, you know, if you don't have that deal that closes and you have to have that deal that closes and you're missing quota, then you have issues. Yeah. You're really coming into issues. I think it's funny your head went right to the, okay, what else are you adding then? If you're not, you know, 200, 300% of your number, is there something else you're bringing to the table that kind of makes you uh, indispensable at the company or valuable at the company such that they're not going to move you out, Right. So is that like a personal brand? Is it that you're really, co you know, you really take to coaching the SDR team or you take to coaching your peers or you have really good insights on how to manage top of funnel? I've seen that too. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that that's, that's the case. So here, here's my take on it. Um, I think, I think it's actually, it can actually be a really good goal to shoot for second or third place. And by the way, full disclaimer that's not necessarily what I'm trying to do. I like being number one. I like to win, but I know a lot of really successful sellers who've been doing this year over year for many years, sometimes actually aim for like that second or third spot for the same reasons that I mentioned that they would rather be consistent year over year, you know, consistently hitting, call it like, I think I would rather hit consistently 99.9% .9 of my quota every year for 10 or 20 years than to have a year where I hit like 300% and then I hit 40% the next year. I would much rather be consistent than anything else. And sometimes that's not always possible. And sometimes it's really hard to do in a sales role, you know, a strategic or an enterprise sales role. It's really hard to do that. So in my mind, I think it's actually totally fine. And you can have a career where you produce just enough to stay, you know, afloat and keep yourself going. As long as you're getting paid what you're, goals are. I mean, if you, if, you know, if you have a goal number every year of what you want to earn, as long as you're hitting that number and it keeps you off of that quote unquote chopping block that Chase is mentioning, I think that's totally fine. And I think it's actually a really sustainable way to do it because if you can do that in a certain amount of time and still have free time to do what you enjoy doing, it'll actually make you a better seller in my personal opinion. Now, all kinds of caveats, all kind of, uh, you know, all kinds of like asterisks to that statement, because every company is going to be different. And some companies, they're going to move you out if you don't hit hundred percent of your number. I've found that to be pretty rare, but there's probably a number and you could probably figure out what that number is, by the way. So if you ask your leadership to just be direct with you and tell you, you know, what, what's like the, 
what's the point where I'd be on the chopping block if I don't hit X? Like is X, you know, 50% of my quota? Is it 65% of my quota? What is that number? And how do I avoid getting on a performance plan and getting moved out of the business? Um, so as long as you're overachieving that, I think especially in startups too, and that's a whole nother nuance to this is like in startups, you're in unknown territory, right? You're, you, you know, you're, you might be selling something that hasn't been sold at scale before. And so quota is, um, I don't want to say meaningless, but it's in a lot of cases, a, an arbitrary number that was made up by the board members or the investors in the business based on benchmarks, based on other companies in the similar category. So I think you have to take it all with a grain of salt. If you're in a really big corporate company that has a very provable sales model, you should probably try to hit over hundred percent of your quota every year, especially because in a lot of those cases, it's pretty easy to do that. But it's just, there's so much variance in companies, but yeah, you got uh, any other thoughts here? Uh, you know, one of the thoughts, and this was uh, brought up in the past that I've heard and, and you don't want to, you know, you never want to get caught in your activity level. You know, you can talk about your quota level, but then when your activity level, it's like, you got to maintain, manage that activity level and you can't let that go down. And that's something to focus on as well. Because maybe, and and that's where you got to see is the top performer putting out a lot more activity or are they just closing faster? Or is, the, you know, where is that? Because you don't want to have that conversation of you're just coasting along. You're really not sending out that many emails. You're really not prospecting. And then you're going to get that good call from your manager to say, you know, show me your activity. Yeah. They're going to pull up the CRM and see it. So that's something that you want to always keep in mind is always keep prospecting. And I always will listen to De Jeb Blunt on this of just always keep prospecting no matter what. Uh, but that's just how I am. I'm, I'm a Kentucky bred man and I just always want to be first, you know, <laughs> always be prospecting. So that that's actually a really good point too, is I think if you're, if your plan is to be like, Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do the bare minimum to not get fired from my sales job. I don't think that's the right mindset. I really do think you should aim as high as you can go and aim for first place for the most part. That's going to do you the best. And aiming for first place doesn't mean you're always going to get it on your team. You're not always going mm -hmm. to be the top rep. Sometimes you're rep of the month or quarter or rep of the year, um, but that may not happen the following year, right? So I think always be aiming for the top and just know that you're not always going to achieve that. And like Chase is saying, I think bringing other areas of value to the business can also offset just hard attainment. I know most sales leaders, they look at attainment, of course, and it's very important and they look at trends and things like that. But one of the things is, you know, one of the, the factors that they're also looking at is, yeah, pipeline generation. Are you generating pipeline? Are you um, working with existing, you know, maybe you have a, a, a book of business of existing accounts. Are you managing those relationships well and looking for opportunities to expand and grow the business within those existing customer uh, base accounts, right? So there's all kinds of other factors that leadership looks at. So be sure that you're also focusing on that. And I think if you're generally someone in this industry who's also just trying to level up, then you all, you really can't go wrong. If you're focused on leveling up your career, bettering your skill set, then I think it is okay to, to maybe be the third or fourth or fifth person on the team. And as long as you're driving towards getting better and better, then I think that's that's a totally fine formula for success and longevity in in this business. And one other thing that I'll say is uh, making sure that we're doing it for the customers. I love, I don't just sell to sell. Like I really want to see my customer succeed. 
and sometimes I'll pull back on prospecting and really focus on making sure my customer is taken care of. And that could cost me some sales, but I know in the long run, I'll potentially get a referral from that. And I'm not going to get the claw back because they were taken care of. Ooh, you just use one of those words. I don't think I've ever talked about on the show clawbacks. Ooh. Um, no, that's a good point. That, that's the thing is if you're, if your heart's in the right place, you're, you're focused on delivering success to the customers, you're more likely to get paid on that invoice and it's going to make your life a lot easier down the road. So I think why so many of us sellers shoot for that first, that top seller spot in the company is for that same reason that when you get to that top spot, generally speaking, you know, 2023 aside, generally speaking, you have a lot of job security and, you know, you're going to have a lot of perks from that company on being the top performer. There's, there's a lot mm -hmm. of you know, other perks, right? There may be some social and political capital that you gain within the company. In addition to, again, if you're taking care of your customers, you're making sure you're getting paid your commissions on time, no clawbacks. And, you know, it's, it's pretty win-win, but I do also think that, you know, you can be the the third player on the team and still have a great career in, in B2B sales. And just keep the attitude, you know, keeping the morale. That's a big thing as well Is I think morale boosters are great to have on the team, even if they're not top performing, you know, if, as long as you're not going into meetings and just complaining, I think if you can hold a good meeting and be positive and really uh, help out the CMS team support um, and really creating those relationships, I think you get more entrenched in your company and that brings value and people start to like you more you're on fire today man because i i do think that attitude and it's gratitude <laughs> uh, it's not well it is you know att your attitude is gratitude well i do think it's a superpower and that doesn't mm -hmm. get talked about very much that uh, and and it's one that i've deployed over the course of my career i've had managers tell me you know why leadership likes you they like you because you're you, you tend to have a pretty positive outlook on everything we know you're not behind the scenes talking shit about, you know, so-and-so or doing that thing, you tend to try to build up your team. You tend to try to approach problems with a positive attitude. People would prefer to work with someone like that over someone who's negative all the time, who's looking for excuses, looking to, uh, for ways to complain about their situation, whether that's their territory or a deal that, that didn't, they didn't win man, some specific leader, you know, that it's really a superpower to carry a positive attitude into your day to day. So I'm, I'm, I love that you brought that up. I think that's super important. And that just, I think that that you can get really negative. You can either look at, Hey, I'm not number one. I'm middle of the pack. You could look at that in a negative way, or you could look at it a positive way. It's really all your attitude. And you could say, you know, I did the best that I could do. Um, and yeah, attitude. I really, I really, uh, think that's the focus here. Well, all right. Well, that's all right, Jesse. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers.